0: all right today we're going to be speaking from genesis 2 18 through 25 and this is beauty from a rib if you kiss her you are not a gentleman if you don't you are not a man if you praise her she thinks you are lying if you don't you are good for nothing if you agree to all of her likes you are a wimp if you don't you are not understanding if you visit her often she thinks it's boring if you don't she accuses you of double crossing If you are well-dressed, she says you are a playboy. If you're not, you are a dull boy. If you are jealous, she says it's bad. If you aren't, she says you do not love her. If you attempt a romance, she says you don't respect her. If you don't, she thinks you do not like her. If you are one minute late, she complains it's hard to wait. If she says, if it is late, she says that's a girl's way. If you visit another man, you're not putting in quality time. If she is visited by another woman, oh, it's natural. We are girls. If you kiss her once in a while, she professes you are cold. If you kiss her often, she yells that you are taking advantage. If you fail to help her in crossing the street, you lack ethics. If you do, she thinks it's just one of the men's tactics for seduction. If you stare at another woman, she accuses you of flirting. If other men stare at her, she says that they are just admiring. If you talk, she wants you to listen. If you listen, she wants you to talk. In short, so simple, so complex, so weak, yet so powerful, so confusing, yet so desirable, so damning, yet so wonderful women. If there were no other reason in the world to disbelieve in the theory of evolution than the presence of women, it would be enough. No amount of random chance, no amount of adapting and changing, nothing in the equation could ever form women to be so bafflingly complex and yet delightfully simple as they are only an infinitely intelligent mind could give man such a wonderful gift such a challenge to our patience, such a trial to our souls such a delight to our eyes such a knock on our hearts and such a knock on our heads such a source of frustration and such a well of delight only God could have created a woman and he did it from one single rib now I love ribs from the grill and I like to rib my son about things The veins of a leaf are known as ribs and so is the molding on a vaulted ceiling. Sailboats have ribs in their holes and so do airplane wings. If you alternate pearl stitches with plain stitches while you're sewing, you'll make a ribbed pattern. All of these have meaning and all of these have purpose, but nothing could compare to what God did with just one of Adam's ribs. Here's our text verse for today. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Point number one is, it is not good. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. It is not good that man should be alone. Lo hayot ha'adam livado. God used the term lo tov to describe Adam's situation. It is not good. Far too often we try to justify why we can do it alone, but in the end, God created woman for man. The two fit together much better than one does all alone. They complement each other, they meet each other's needs, and they fill God's purposes for creation. It is lo tov that man should be alone. And interestingly enough, these two little words, lo-tov, prove the literal six-day creation account, at least from a biblical perspective. In Genesis 1, it says that at the end of the sixth day, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. If, in fact, everything was very good, or tov me'od, at the end of the sixth day, then and it was not good that man should be alone during the sixth day, then God must have created everything in a six literal day period. There's no other way around this, and the biblical account stands or falls based on a literal six-day creation. The verse continues, I will make a helper comparable to him. Literal, Literally, a help answering to him or one who answers and this does not mean that God made a secretary for man, although that can be part of the equation at times, I suppose. The woman was prepared by God to share man's responsibilities, to respond with him in love and understanding, and to work together in worshiping and serving God. As it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if They fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? We continue on. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. God created the animals, but as was noted way back in chapter 1, God gave man dominion over them. The giving of names to the animals implies that dominion over them. In the first chapter of the book of Daniel, the king of Babylon renamed the exiled Israelites as he so chose indicating his dominion over them. Here's what the account says. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Goes down a little bit. It says to them, the chief of eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach and to Azariah Abednego. In the same way, parents name their children, indicating that they have authority over their children. So much for Bart Simpson, all right? We name our possessions, such as a boat on the water. And if we start a company, we give it a name. Designating a name indicates dominion and authority over the thing which is named. And God gave this dominion of the animals to man. We do this even to this day. When we buy an animal and we let one of our children name that animal, then that animal implicitly belongs to that child and we know that we get to pay the bills, we get to clean up the messes, we have to feed the animals. But as far as that child is concerned, he will always feel that he is the owner of that animal. In the case of God, man has no dominion over him. And so we can only ascribe titles to God. We cannot give him names. Later in the book of Genesis, Hagar the Egyptian, who is the concubine of Abraham, calls him El Roy, the God who sees. But this is not a name. It is only a title, and only the true God reveals or conceals his name as he so chooses, as he revealed one name to Moses in Exodus chapter 6. I am the Lord, or Jehovah. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And in Revelation 12, he, meaning Jesus Christ, hides another name for himself alone. It says he has had a name written on him that no one knew except himself, implying that Jesus must be God if that is the case. Because God's name identifies his authority and dominion, we are to use it carefully and we are to use it with respect. He is God and we are man. He is the creator and we are the created. We continue on but for adam there was not found a helper comparable to him god brought all of the animals to adam and he was probably very impressed with every new creature that came his way here comes i um, i'll call that a platypus and this one i'm going to call that maybe i'll call that a wombat and this one i'm going to call this one a doggy he named all of the animals lord these are all so cool I can't believe the variety of life that you have given me here, but God, there is something missing in me. All of these creatures have a friend to play with and despite all that you've done, I feel lonely looking at them playing together. There's something missing from my heart and I'm not sure what it is, but I feel it when I see these animals playing together. Just imagine Adam's thoughts as he named the animals and looked around him. He was in the very presence of God. He was in the midst of God's paradise, a garden of delight and yet there was something missing in Adam that needed to be reconciled before God could pronounce his final blessing upon the work of the day, upon the work of creation, and upon the completion of his efforts. After 27 years of marriage, I can tell you that I find my life lacking when Hedico isn't around. She does the cooking, I do the dishes. She feeds the puppies, and I do the laundry. She does the comforting, and I do all of the whining. We fit so well together that when she is not around, my whining goes unanswered. My food comes from a can and the puppies, the poor, poor puppies. Since God gave Eve to Adam, no man has ever had a wife who fits so perfectly. As the proverb says, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far better than rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. I assure you, I found the virtuous wife. We continue on. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in his place. The term that the Bible uses here indicates a very deep sleep that Adam was placed under. Nothing is said about how he did it, but today we can work ourselves to exhaustion, We can use anesthesia maybe, or maybe we can get into a boxing match with one of our friends to achieve this type of sleep that's mentioned here. By putting Adam to sleep, this is rather interesting, it takes him completely out of the equation. If God consulted man, Adam might've asked for chrome bumpers or maybe a a built-in attachment where he could put fishing poles, or he might've said, I want a helper that doesn't talk too much. But God knew better than Adam did that chrome bumpers would need polishing. On the other hand, women stay lustrous without any effort. He also knew that fishing vacations were a chance to get away from the women and relax with friends, and so he didn't include the fishing pole attachments. And he knew that men needed to learn patience and to listen while the woman rambled on, and so Eve was prepared while Adam slept. Now, all joking aside, though, whatever way God put Adam to sleep, it seems as if mercy was being granted during that first operation that was ever performed on a human being because normally when we take something out of a body we do it because there is something defective in what we're taking out or maybe it's something that can harm us and I assure you I'm not going to go down that road today modern surgical procedures are for healing and they are for the removal of corruption but instead of something defective being brought out of Adam something close and personal was removed. At the same time, it was for a sort of healing, just as would be the case in any modern operation. What God would make from the rib would be of the same essence as man, complementary, and yet different than the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. This here was a deeply, deeply personal act which God performed. The word used for making Eve is the Hebrew word banah, in this account, the Hebrew letters, which spell bana, or bet, and nun. Bet, as I explained a couple weeks ago, is a house. And nun reflects the air or the continuation of a generation. God took a, a part of Adam's house and he sculpted it into a comparable part so that the two would be able to continue on for the generations to come. This continuation would be from their very life and every human being on earth today bears the marks of their first father and mother. So, so much for racism, we are all one people on this earth and we all bear the similitude to Adam. As it says in Acts 17:26. from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Everything in this account, even to the letters used in the term "bana," shows us that man is never fully complete without a woman and that a woman is never fully complete without a man. That woman came from man. This is how God ordained things to be. She was created to help him and he is under the obligation to protect her and to be devoted to her just as he would to any other part of his own body. Paul explains this mystery in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For man is not from woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, meaning long hair, because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman, but all things are from God. A few weeks ago, I called the man the crown of creation, but this was only fully realized after God made the woman. We noted that God created from the least complex to the most complex and from what is least excellent to what is most excellent. Woman being formed after man has a glory and an honor upon her that Paul notes once again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says that the woman is the glory of man. As Matthew Henry wisely notes, if man is the head, she is the crown, a crown to her husband, the crown of the visible creation. The man was dust refined, but the woman was dust double refined, one removed further from the earth. Together, the two of them form the pinnacle of God's marvelous wisdom in the creation and the way he did it shows their complete interdependency on each other. In the use of a rib to form the woman, it's been said that woman was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on him, but to be out of his side so that she would be equal with him, under his arms to be protected by him, and near to his heart to be beloved. And he brought her to the man. Adam woke up feeling an empty spot in his chest, just like he did before he went to sleep. The only difference was that he had a scar, and now something really, really felt like it was missing. After yawning and looking around a little bit, you can just hear it, though. Wow! Where did this come from? I can, I can just imagine what he thought when he saw the woman. Oh, man, oh, man. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I, I can just see it. One empty spot, the emotional one, was gone in an instant. And when God said that she was for him, His other empty spot was made full by her presence and nothing was lacking. Oh Lord, this is so much better than chrome bumpers. What is it that a father does at a wedding to his daughter? He walks the woman to her husband and presents her to him. And so God, as the father of the woman, the creator brought her to the man. He gave his consent to the man to take this beauty and unite to her in the first wedding that was ever performed. And this wedding was in a state of complete innocence. And as such, it was the only one of its kind in all of human history. Never alone with my wife by my side. What God has done, he has done very well. A flood of emotions like the rising of the tide. This woman is perfect for me, I can tell. A gift of the most beautiful kind, sculpted and formed beyond imagination. Her beauty fills every thought of my mind. This is certainly the jewel In the crown of creation. Point two is she shall be called woman. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's been noted that there is a fulfillment for every need that we have. When we get thirsty, there is water to fill that thirst. Likewise, there is thirst because there is water. If water didn't exist, there would not be any need for thirst. Fish need to swim in the water and there are there is water for the fish to swim in. In the same way, there are fish because there is water for the fish to swim in. If the water didn't exist, there would not be anything called fish. Men need women and there are women for men to join to. And without a doubt, there are women because there are men. If men didn't exist, then there would not be anything called woman. God has filled everything every need with the answer to that need. And God has made the needs for the things that he created. We need sunlight and God has given us a sun, but God created the sun first and made us afterward. Everything fits so perfectly well that all I can do is marvel at the perfection of his creation. In my soul is a need to praise God and God has given me the Psalms. He's given me a mouth and he's given me air in my lungs that allow me to do that. But praise of God implies that there is a God. So thank God that God is God. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Modern translations will often set this particular verse off in poetic fashion. The man here was making a pronouncement, acknowledging that God had Fashioned the woman from his very bones and flesh. The Hebrew word for man is ish, and for woman it is isha. And despite a difference in the spelling, the only real difference is the feminine ending of the word for female. Therefore, she is a she-man. We differ in sex, but we do not differ in nature. The woman was made from the man, and the woman was made for the man. Adam received from his father the woman who was being presented. From her father. He created them both and he determined every single detail that would perfectly fill every void in each other. What one lacked, the other filled. Every need finds its fulfillment and so it is even to this day the cycle of marriage goes on between God's faithful in acknowledgement of his loving act of making woman for man. Point three is leaving home. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall together become one flesh. This verse here sets the bonds of marriage which have followed down through the ages. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The word joined is the Hebrew word dabak and it means literally to stick like glue. Another time that this word is used is in the book of Ruth. When Ruth the Moabitess joined with her mother-in-law, refusing to leave her after the death of her husband, who was Naomi's son. Here's what it says. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Dabak, she stuck like glue. Your God shall be my God. Your people shall be my people. When it says that the man shall be joined to his wife, it is the man, man, it is the man who sticks like glue to the woman. He is the stronger vessel, and he is the one who bears the responsibility to hold tightly to her. And if he demonstrates the kind of loving power reflected in this particular verse, she will naturally want to be held by him. The woman's responsibility, however, is not negated. It says they shall become one flesh. This indicates a two-way union and that the bond is indissoluble. When asked about the acceptability of divorce, Jesus referred right back to this particular account to remind people that marriage is to be a lifelong commitment. Here's what he said. Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning, God created them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together Let man not separate. Those are the words of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul explains the connection between a man and a woman and of Christ and the church. This mutual give and take relationship is reflected of that which is demonstrated by him, by the Lord himself, in which we should likewise demonstrate toward him. Here's what Paul says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He's making a spiritual application of the church and Jesus Christ and us and our wives. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man, he goes and repeats the same verse that Jesus repeated, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As I said, the Hebrew word for join is debak, and the onus is on the man christ has promised to never leave us and to never forsake us and he has accepted the onus upon himself it is he the husband who fills this role but we are to give him the honor that the glory that he is due deferring to him what is rightly his and submitting to his authority in his headship and that's the point that Paul is making about wives submitting to their husbands it's nothing degrading it's simply the same type of submission that we submit to the Lord as our husband in the church which is the body of Christ when God breathed life into the man there was the intimate connection of God to man and that was lost through sin but when God regenerates us with the Holy Spirit that intimate connection that was lost is reestablished. That's the point of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And it is the same with the man and the woman. The connection was lost between the two until they are joined together in marriage. And when they are joined together in marriage, they become whole, just like Christ in the church. What man lost in the rib, he regains in the wife. And I can tell you, man, oh man, she is so much better than a rib. Point number four, not ashamed. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. When God created the man and the woman, they were naked and there was no shame either vertically or horizontally. In other words, God created them in a state of beauty and perfection and there was nothing to cause them to hide either from God or from each other. Nakedness, however, implies more than just shame. It also implies that there was nothing that could harm them. The temperature would have been perfect. None of the animals would have been a threat and there wasn't anything that could even hurt their feet. They were naked, they were secure and they were unashamed. And I think this verse is specifically put into this context to show us the contrast with the entire rest of the Bible where there is perpetual conflict between our bodies and the elements and from the animals and also From the shame of our actions among ourselves and among others, both in the presence of God and in the presence of others. When shame is lost in people today, it is not unbiblical. It is anti-biblical. It is opposed to the things of God. When we lose the shame, we see people doing things on the streets nowadays that are shameful, and that is anti-biblical, I see a lot of my old school friends in the recent past that have gotten divorced. I got some friends that have been married 15 years and some that have been married even 25 years and they have decided to give up their marriages. And one of them, a self-proclaimed atheist said his wife had gotten fat and saggy after having three children and he didn't like it. He was ashamed of her appearance. And so the question is, what are you ashamed of? What are you ashamed of maybe in your wife or in your husband? If they got old and wrinkly and gray, guess what? They did it around you, right? I know of a preacher who was in the Vietnam War and he got burned so badly that he looks like a monster. And while he was recuperating in the hospital, another guy was in the bed next to him and he was a little bit mutilated, not terribly, but either his girlfriend or his wife, he didn't know, came in and she saw him and she took off a ring and she threw it right at him and walked out and she says, I'm done with you. And later this guy's wife came in to see him and he was far worse off than the guy in the bed next to him. And she came up to him and she hugged him and she has been holding on tightly to this guy now for over 30 years despite his monstrous looks, despite how horrible he looks, she is a faithful person. She is unashamed of what happened to her husband when he was performing his duties in the service of the country what is shame then? In the end, it is not a reflection of others, but it is a reflection of what is in our own self. In his great cry of repentance for the, the misdeeds of the Israelites, Nehemiah cried out to God, ashamed of the deeds of the people. I want to read you this, it's a little long, but listen to his words as he cries out in repentance and shame, At the actions of his people at the evening sacrifice i arose from my fasting and having torn my garment and my robe i fell on my knees and i spread out my hands to the lord my god and i said oh my god i am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you my god for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens since the days of our fathers to this day we have been very guilty And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is this day. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves Yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair our house, the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O God, What shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end of the land with their impurity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this, Should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. The shame that Nehemiah felt is the attitude that God responds to with great mercy. Nehemiah's shame was felt because of the intermarrying of God's people with the pagans around them. And when King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, when that was discovered, David acknowledged that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. Both of these great men, they understood the contract between God and his people and between the the contract between a man and a woman. And these contracts in both cases were broken and their shame was openly acknowledged. Did you know, each one of you, that despite the life that you have lived, Jesus will forgive your sins no matter how great they are if you will simply acknowledge your guilt? For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he, meaning Jesus Christ, is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus shared in the humanity so that he could empathize with us. The very creator of man, who lovingly gave man a wife, took on mortality in order to destroy death and restore us to himself. Now I was at church just a night ago and I was looking at a little baby that was smaller than this right here. It was just a teeny little thing with legs about this long and teeny little fingers. And I thought to myself, the creator of every single thing that we see around us came down and he breathed the air that he created. And there he was, this big. And he was completely at the mercy of his mother, his father, and the elements around him. This is the kind of God that we serve as human beings, that he would condescend to become this small and to live this life on our behalf. And when we call on him, He is unashamed to call us brethren. Because of the immense demonstration of forgiveness, the Apostle Paul turned right around and he restored the same honor to the Lord that the Lord bestowed on us. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Beauty from under Adam's side formed from a rib near his heart God made a woman with man to abide. Together, a new life is one to start. She was formed as he lay in his sleep. God molded her specially for him. They would form a bond wide and deep they, that would last till their eyes grew dim. Likewise, God gave Christ a bride when a soldier pierced his own side. Out came the blood which purchased us back as he lay in death's sleep for a spell. The devil thought he had won the attack. But Christ rose victorious over death and hell. The bride of Christ has nothing to fear. The Lord, her husband, has reign over all. Nothing so precious, nothing so dear as for the sinner on his name to call. Come unto me, you who are weary and worn, and to your souls I will give you rest. By my spirit you too can be reborn. Drink from heaven's waters. Be eternally blessed take a moment and enter the cross of Jesus Christ with me. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. In this account, Adam is being used as a symbol of Christ to come. Just as God took a rib from the side of Adam while he slept, God formed his church through the death of his son, his moment of deepest sleep. The soldier pierced up into his side and out came blood mixed with water. Two men with similar scars, 4,000 years apart, one received a bride of flesh and the other received a bride of the spirit. If God was willing to do that for us, we should in kind call on him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. I thank you for how you sculpted Adam and then made a beautiful wife for him. And then 4,000 years later, you made a bride come out of the sight of Jesus Christ as he died on that cross. What a great and wonderful creator you are. I pray that anybody that's here that's never called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will take it to their heart and do so. And if anybody is listening by this video, Lord, I would pray that you would just... Touch their heart and let them know what a great and loving and gracious Savior we have in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. You are absolutely beyond comprehension, and all we can do is say how great thou art. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anything I will give up for I'm going to go ahead and uh, give you the uh, benediction and we'll get out of here. I'm going to try something new. I've never done this before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.